faithfulness. Why do the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases him. But their idols are silver and gold made by the hands of men. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see, they have ears but cannot hear, noses that cannot smell, they have hands that cannot feel, feet that cannot walk, nor can they utter a sound with their throat. Those who make them will be like them, so will all who trust in them. I want to call attention to that last verse, verse 8. Those who make them will become like them, not only those who craft them, but those who worship them will also become like the God that they worship. The house of Israel trusts in the Lord. He is their help and shield. Oh, house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. You who fear him, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. There is a trinity of repetition here. He's stating for them and for us this morning instruction and command to trust in the Lord. We'll spend a few moments together this morning talking about trust. You remember last Sunday morning when we shared with you that God had established the law as a means of protection for us, protecting us from being hurt by others, by hurting ourselves, by, by living lifestyles of self-destructive behavior, and from being, uh, being hurt by others. There's another part of this that I want to share this morning, and the first two commandments deal with the spiritual. God wants to protect us spiritually. And so the first commandment, who can give me the essence of commandment number one? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength. Number two, you shall have no other gods before me. You'll make no graven image of me or no likeness of me because God is spirit and they that worship must worship in spirit and in truth. Perhaps the greatest protection that we need this morning is a spiritual protection. And obedience to those commands that protect us from lesser gods, trusting in something else, someone else other than the one true God. It's not that he needs the protection. God is totally self-existent and, and self-fulfilled. He doesn't need us for anything like that. But he knows these commandments, as all the commandments were established for our good, for our benefit, for our protection. He wanted to protect us from, from missing the best that we possibly could enjoy because we have a tendency to craft our own gods Israel had a tendency to follow after idols rather than the true God. And so he was saying, don't settle for some phony God when you can serve the true God. And he wants to protect the fulfillment of our lives in the most critical dimension possible, that being the spiritual dimension of our lives. 
So he is wanting to protect us from following after anything else or worshiping anything less than the almighty God. And so we need to, this morning, come back to the basics of trusting in God. Say, oh, pastor, that's so elementary. Don't all of us do this? Oh, I wish it were true. I wish that second commandment, first and second commandment, we could just eliminate from the Bible because we've all got it nailed down. We don't, there's no materialism in this room this morning. There's no one seeking pleasures more than God. And that what he said, in the last days, there would be idolatry in the form of men loving pleasure more than loving God. That's an idol. And he says that we need to guard against covetousness, which is idolatry. And so, yes, we do need to come back to the basics and understand that God needs to protect us from ourselves because it has been from generation to generation a tendency of man to make other gods and worship and serve other gods. And we come up short of what we could have and should have because he is the Lord and he is worthy to be worshipped and made God of our lives. We need to establish our love relationship with him as the number one priority and love him with part of our heart, part of our time, part of our energy. I'm sorry. You know better than that, don't you? And you know, and we can never stand before God and say, gee, someone should have told me that. We know that, that the command of God, not a suggestion or it might be a good idea if, but he is commanding us that we are to love him with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength. And to make no graven image. So what he's saying, protect my reputation. Just as I have said to you, don't bear false witness about other people, he is saying to us in that second commandment, please, please, don't give a false witness about who I am. Don't malign my character, my nature, by representing me in some other way than the truth. Because, you see, we do not trust what is not true. And trust is something that is either developed or destroyed by experience. So we need to appreciate if we're going to live in trust with God, we cannot have a relationship without trust. It is a foundation stone upon which relationships are built and it is earned. It is earned, you see, faith has to do with God's capabilities. Trust has to do with God's character. And so it's important that as we look at Webster's definition, it means that, our, that we rest our mind on the integrity of another. Trust is resting your mind in confidence in the integrity of another. We live in a society today that, that has very little trust in anyone or anything. And I think it's because there has been 
truth decay. We don't know who we can trust. And so if, if we don't have the truth or deal in the truth, you can't trust. Once you have been lied to, once you have been deceived, once you've been fooled, you begin to, to back away. You do not trust and the relationship is damaged. Something happens. Relationships are either developed or destroyed by experience and that having to do with trust. And I think we need to, to recognize that our experience and our relationship with God is so based. And so what he's saying is don't, represent, don't misrepresent me with something other than the reality of who I am because that's not fair. That sends a false message to people who don't want to put their trust in a God like that. How many know he, he's an all-loving God? He's not a, an austere, angry person looking over the earth, trying to interrupt anybody having a good time. He's not just looking, waiting for us to mess up so he can punish us. There are misconceptions of God that we are raised with, that we catch from other people. We need to find the source of truth and trust because we know the truth about God. And the reason we don't trust God is because we don't know God. Let me repeat that. The reason we don't trust God is because we don't know God. You don't trust someone you don't know. And the more we know him in truth, the better we will trust him. The more we will trust him. Experience with Relationships either develop that trust or destroy that trust. Since we're still in the book of Psalms, there is a, a psalm that maybe you can turn to with me. Psalm 41, verses 9 and 10. Here's David's experience. He said, even my close friend whom I trusted who we shared my bread has lifted up his heel against me. He said in another place, my old familiar friend, we walked together into the house of God. But something has happened to that relationship. It has been damaged. It has been destroyed. Let me read it again. He said, even my closest friends, my close friend whom I trusted, has shared my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. Trust is destroyed by experience. Sometimes trust is developed in marriages. Trust is either developed or destroyed by experience. And so we need to remember the fact that unless we have the ability to trust, we do not have a foundation stone for relationship. It's true spiritually. So God said, I want to protect, I want to protect you spiritually from the kind of relationship where trust is eroded, where trust is damaged. I want you to know the truth about who I am and how I am so that the better you get to know me, the more fully and completely you can trust me. 
And the only reason that we don't trust God as much as we could or should is because we don't know him as much as we could or we should. And everybody said, that trust relationship is absolutely critical to our relationship with God. What was this all about in Job's life? What was this crisis situation that arose that you're familiar with in Job's life? He came to a place of significant loss. I think that each thing that happened to him is somewhat typical of general areas of our lives. He lost his sheep, he lost his camel, he lost his donkeys, he lost his business, he lost, he lost significantly financially. He lost his 10 children, so he had significant lost family in his family, financially, and in his family, huge grief because of significant loss in his family. He's on the ash heap scraping boils all over his so significant loss physically. But he had not lost his faith. Though he slay me, yet will I, what's the word? Trust him. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. And we need to bring that into this 20th century to our situation, our circumstances financially this morning domestically this morning in our households, our families, and in physically going through times of significant loss and grief and problems, we need to know God sufficiently so that in the midst of that we can say, I still trust in Him. Why? I know who He is. I know how faithful he is. I know how loving he is. I know he has my best interest in mind. I don't understand all the circumstances about this. He didn't see the unseen. He didn't have hindsight like we do to read chapter 1 and witness the conference in heaven between Lucifer and, 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 and the Father to say, Have you considered the life of my servant Job? And the whole scenario that unfolded because of God withdrawing some of his head so that Satan could be proven wrong by a man who trusted in him. Oh, isn't it wonderful to look at a man whose life stood faithful in trusting God in the midst of significant financial reverses significant family reverses and significant physical pain and reverses to hold and maintain his integrity and all of with he he said the lord gave the lord a blessed be the name of the lord now, i don't know how that challenges you but that challenges me to say i trust him oh for grace to trust him more Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I have proved him, or and or. You see, trust is based on experience. 
and experiences getting to know God, and as we walk with him through the experiences of life and we put our trust in him and he proves himself faithful to us, the more we know him, the better we trust him. And you see, trust is either developed or destroyed by experience. We can trust him this morning. David said, oh, Israel, trust in the Lord. Oh, Aaron, trust in the Lord. And the word of God to, this, to us this morning is, oh, trust in the Lord. He is of immaculate character. You can trust him. There's no deception in God. There's no deceit in him. There's no shadow of turning in the Lord. His name is truth. Hallelujah. No truth decay in God. They've taken a survey to, to uh, see who were the most or, and the least trusted people. And I hope not to offend anyone this morning. Number one on the least trusted, telemarketers. So I hope there's no telemarketers here today. Not too far behind was politicians. And uh, most trusted, pharmacists and pastors. I don't know about the pharmacist. <laughs> but no one seems to trust the government. And it could well be experience, you see. We have had experience that has eroded when, when what seems to be truth is changed and not true, then it does something to either develop or damage our trust. We will become like the God we serve. So it better be the Lord. It ought to be the Lord. The text that I read says one of the dangers of idolatry and the most damaging things that we need to be protected from. And the second commandment helps us do that. Don't make any idols. Don't even make an idol of God or misrepresent God. He's more than any figment of man's imagination. There is no way this finite mind can represent God in any picture or any statue, or any creation of man. He is much bigger than anything we could form or formulate. So we would be doing great disservice to the reputation and character of God to in any way create an idol of him. So he said, you need to be protected from false information about God because you're only going to trust him to the degree you know the truth about him. Idols will preach a false message even idols, spiritual idols that are to represent God. We need to be protected from even the spiritual idolatry that, that we would create. One most common one is that this is the house of God. Oh, this, even though this size building could never hold God, it's not big enough to be God's house. Oh, we meet here for worship. And I think sometimes the reason we so designate this, we want God to be in a location. 
We want to locate him in a particular address. But how many know that's idolatry because God's everywhere. He's as much on the job, he's as much at your home, he's as much on the parkway as he is in this building this morning. You can't locate God to 4561 Old William Penn Highway. You can't locate God to this little room right here. This is not God's house. God's house is the universe. He stands outside of his creation. He's larger than all the galaxies. He spoke them into existence and he stands outside of his creation. He's bigger than all that we could possibly imagine him to be. Sometimes we want him to be located here because then we can just kind of leave him in his house and we can go do our thing out there. He doesn't quite see me on Saturday night or Friday night because this is his house and he stays home. No, this is not God's house. This is, the, this is the house of worship. This is where the church meets. But the Lord is bigger than this room. He cannot be confined to a location and say, well, you know, that's where God lives. I live over there, you live over there, God lives. No, he's bigger than this house. He can't be located and confined to just a few square feet uh, on this piece of property. It's not possible. God is omnipresent. He's everywhere all the time. Hallelujah. And when I know that, I can be sick in the middle of the night, way out somewhere, and know he's right there. I can trust him with my physical problem. And on the job, whatever crisis, I can call on him for wisdom, and he's there. Aren't you glad? We can trust him no matter where we are. He's there. He's as much there at that time as he is any time or any place. And we can trust him because we know him though he slay me yet will I trust in him put confidence and trust in him another problem we don't want to become like the God an idol that we worship we want to become like the true God that we worship that's our goal. We talked about holiness last week. Be holy for I am holy. And as we worship that kind of God, it has an effect upon us. It transforms us into the image and likeness of the God that we are worshiping. We are controlled by what we worship. It's not that we should be controlled by what we worship. It is a fact. We are controlled by what we worship. What we set up as sovereign over our lives, as king over our lives, controls our lives. And we deceive ourselves by thinking, we control this, we control this. Friend, if you set up an idol in your life to be worshiped, it controls you. Whosoever commits sin becomes a slave to sin. That means there's a master and it dictates when, where, and how. It will control your life. It's not a matter of, 
of it ought to, but if you set the Lord over your life, he becomes the control, he becomes the Lord and the sovereign, the controller of your life. And so he can prompt you of things you should do or not do, and you listen because he is the controller of our life. And when, when the temptations of life confront us, he is there to check us, and we listen to that. He controls our life. Let me give you a verse of scripture, 1 Corinthians 12, 2. You are controlled by dead idols who lead you astray. You are controlled by dead idols. Don't let anyone deceive you. Addictions are something that control you. You don't have control over it. It controls you. Once you have set that up as something to be served, you must serve it. You don't have an option anymore. You become its slave. You become its servant. It dictates to you. And so God wants to protect us from that. He says, let me be the God of your life because there's freedom. There's direction. There's fulfillment. There's satisfaction. There's everything that I created you to enjoy available to you and I, I'm not, it's not that I need my ego uh, advanced by what you do. You need, you need to worship a God who will control you, is wise enough to control you in the right way. Did you hear what I said? We need a God and there's only one in the universe that is wise enough to control us in the right way and to keep us from all of those areas of life that would be destructive either to us or to others. God wants to direct our lives and control our lives in the way that is absolute best for us, for time and forever. That's a no-brainer, isn't it? Let's make him Lord. Let's make him God. That's. That really is something that ought to be obvious to us. We need to, to really accept that without much debate at all. If we want just to have God who meets our need and we are not submitted to as sovereign, we want a genie. We don't want God. We want a genie. And to ask yourself the question, do I exist, exist for him or does he exist for me? If we, if we create a God who is, who is in existence for me so that when I need him, you know, I call on him as I need him, then we don't, we don't want to serve a God. We have a genie. We want to rub a little ramp, lamp and say, I've got a couple of wishes, Lord, I want you to grant me. And that's the extent of our relationship with God is that we, we look to him only when we need something from him. But there's much more to my spiritual life. I miss so much if I make him a genie. He's not a genie. He's a God. He's the Lord. Do you understand what I'm saying? Do you understand what I'm saying? Don't just use God. Serve God. Serve God and not just make him a, a, a utility that we, when we need something, we go to him for the supply of that. But he is deserving of a relationship that exists 
seven days a week, 24 hours a day, and that love relationship that we enjoin with him is a wonderful growing, and the more we know him, the more we trust him, and the circumstances of life can come and go, but our trust has been built on experience and knowledge. And the reason we don't trust him is because we don't know him. The more we know him, the better, more fully, we're going to be able to trust him. I don't know if some of you saw the Larry King interview. It was done several months ago now. I made some notes. Instead of his being the interviewer, he was, the, he was being interviewed with his son, or rather his daughter, Kia. And so the interviewer turned to, to Kia, his daughter, and said, tell me two things. Tell me the, the best thing about your dad and the worst thing about your dad. So I recall as she turned to the interviewer and said, well, the best thing about my dad is that he has never forgotten his roots. He, he has still kept his feet on the ground, even though he's, he's achieved celebrity status. He's still the same person. He really hasn't essentially changed. He has not forgotten where he's come from, and he's basically still the same kind of person he was before. Second question, what is the worst thing? that you can think of about your dad. And I want to give a quote here because it's important. She said, the worst thing, quote, it isn't that he, it is that he doesn't have a, a sense of peace about his life. I wish he could find the, a center of peace for himself. So the interviewer turned to Larry King and said to him, is your daughter right? How right is she? And again, I quote, he said, I, I don't have a center of peace. He said, in fact, I'm looking for that peace even more seriously as the older I get. I've interviewed, he said, all the world's religious leaders many times. And I know there must be something more out there. But I just have never taken that step of faith. I know there must be something more out there but I've never taken that step of faith. That's tragic because that's all it would take would be one step of faith toward God, to knowing God and to finding in him that peace. And I included that to contrast it with another celebrity. I was just sitting on Friday lunchtime watching the news and I usually watch the sports news because that uh, is a, of great interest to me and I recognized a face that is recognizable immediately. And I don't know to what degree or depth this, this uh, decision is. Time will reveal all of that, but uh, it was thrilling to me to hear Deion Sanders being interviewed on TV. For those of you who don't know, he's both a pro football player and pro, pro baseball player, uh, and now looking to play this season with the Dallas Cowboys again. And, and I was shocked. I, other people knew about it before me, I guess, but I heard him say, I'm a changed man. He said, I have peace. I found peace with God. 
And he went on to say, I, I didn't find this at rock bottom. He said, I didn't find it after I was strung out on drugs or, or at rock bottom, but at the pinnacle of my career, I found the peace that I needed. I thought he said I would find it in fame. I thought I would find it in big money. I thought I would find it in fornicating with Delilah and with Jezebel, but I didn't. I found it in Jesus. Someone said, well, where are you going to be next year? What are you going to be doing? He said, I really don't know yet. I might be out preaching somewhere. <laughs> For what it's worth, a step of faith, and he found peace. I'm a changed man. I thought he would find it in this idol, or this idol, or this idol. But I didn't find it there. But I found it in Jesus. One step of faith. Once you know him and trust in him, there's a wonderful peace that comes by establishing a relationship with the Prince of Peace. To know him, trust him with the most important part of your life, that spiritual part is the one that's empty. That spiritual part is the part that died when man sinned. God said to Adam and Eve, in the day you eat, you're going to die. Oh, they didn't die mentally or emotionally or physically, but they died spiritually. And that's the part of people that's dead. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. That God-like part, for God is spirit. And that spiritual part of us needs to be made alive. We need to undergo a resurrection by the power of God through faith as we come to trust him. Then we become whole again. Body, soul, and spirit. Hallelujah. And forever we can enjoy fellowship with God. Oh, we need to get to know him more and more and more. Because the better we know him, What's going to happen? The easier to trust him. As parents, have you ever had kids, little kids, you're in the swimming pool, they don't know how to swim yet, they're too little to know how to swim. And you say, come on, jump in. No, they're afraid. They stand, they're shaking. And, come on, come on, I'll catch you. And they debate for a long time and then finally they get up the courage trust. They've had enough experience with you that they take that leap and you catch them in the water. You know what, they, what happens? What happens? Let's do it again! Let's do it again! Fifty times later, let's do it again! Let's do it again! Your back's hurting and you're all wore out. Why don't do it again? What? They've gotten the rush. The rush of being able to trust and not be disappointed. And you as a parent share some of that rush because they've trusted you. You know, I think God feels the same way when we trust him. It says, yeah, you know, they, they know me well enough, but I don't think that they're going to jump into a stranger's arms. They trust you because experience has developed, knowledge has experienced has developed a trust.
trust in the Lord. You see, faith has to do with God's capabilities. Trust has to do with God's character. He has a good character. You can trust him. Job. Job. Once you've trusted him, you want to trust him more. And he'll allow circumstances to develop. So you'll develop trust. It's a scary thing to jump in water over your head. And all you have is the word of the Father. Come on, I'll be there. How many know it's a scary thing to step out of the boat in a storm that Jesus said, come on, you can do it. And he did. He walked on water. All you have is the word of your father. Come on. Trust me. In that Philippian jail in the New English Bible, the man that was holding Paul and Silas, when that earthquake hit and the chains fell off and he was going to commit suicide, he said to Paul, what do I need to do to be saved? The answer in the NIV is trust in the Lord with all your heart and you'll be saved. If you're here this morning wondering how, how to be saved, how do I get saved? You trust in the Lord with all your heart. He and his whole family were saved and baptized in water that night. That's still the same way you get saved. Trust in the Lord, in his character, in his word, he said, come to me. I won't refuse you. Confess your sin. I'll forgive it. We'll start, we'll start over. Old things will pass away. All things become new. You can believe that. Trust him. Father, I just pray this morning that in this room there will be developed a greater and greater knowledge and experience with you that will build a greater and greater foundation of trust. I pray this morning, Lord, some who perhaps need to come to you in the midst of significant losses of one kind or another, and just say to you, I don't understand all this behind the scenes in this, Father. I don't know all that's unseen about this, but I want you to know my faith and my trust is in the living God who has made covenant with me and who will walk beside me and see me through this, who has made promises in his word for wisdom if I would come and ask, that I see in his word that it is impossible for him to lie. And I put my trust in his word. Some who need to trust you for salvation. Some who need to just put their complete faith and trust in the character of a God who loved us and gave himself for us to establish a relationship that would endure forever. Speak to us, Lord, this morning. Let the voice of the Spirit find reception in our heart and response in our heart.
We'll give you thanks for this now.